Frequency 18, 36, 4, 82. Armerium, Vox Eterna. The Strangeman's No Access Radio. Episode 6. Testing, testing. Is this good? Yep. Audio levels are good. We live? Yep. Great. All right. Want me to get started? Yes. Let's get going. Hello, unnerving listeners, and welcome back to the Strange Men's No Access Radio. I'm your host, Jock Tuckaby, the only radio host for a hundred miles east. Now, we know that life can be a confusing puzzle of constant change that leaves you uncertain and panicked about the future. We here at the Strange Men No Access Radio would like to add to that mounting dread by doing something a little different for this broadcast. We, me, Holly, and Doug, are going to be touring around the different departments around Site 13 at the Strange Men Association. Right now we're in a corridor, but connected to that corridor is environmental research, where people much smarter but less charismatic than me create accurate representation of environments, drop whatever anomalous thing we're researching inside said environment, and just see what happens in there from the safety of fragile glass. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. We're now in environmental research. This is where they test some of our weird animals and plants in artificial facsimiles of their environments. Right now, I am standing in front of a view station for an enclosure for definitely something, but I can't read Italian. The enclosure appears to be a regular suburban street. However, all monitors are pointing towards the 13th house on the block, which occupies a young couple. Nothing appears to be off about them. They're both talking about their day at the dining table, eating spaghetti. They're both giving vague answers that tell each other nothing. Okay, they both seem to be going to different rooms. The husband is in the bedroom. He's taking off his clothes. He's taking off his hat and his socks and his... Oh my god, the husband is a changeling. A a replacer thing. A fake and incredibly ugly. No wonder he's decided to take someone else's skin. Oh, but does the wife know about this? She's just standing there, cluelessly. But wait, she's she's taking off her clothes as well. And oh my god. And her hat? And her piercings? Oh god! And her socks? She's also a changeling, a fake, and ugly. Ah, it's two changelings trying to fool each other. That's amazing. Incredible. And now I'm bored. Moving on. Alright, listeners, we've now arrived at the robotics department. That was fast, almost like no time at all. I, in fact, don't remember how we got here. Now, we can't see this right now, but rest assured, we are in a big old lab with buzz saws and computers, all making robots. Tall robots, short robots, robots that can think, 
robots that can think, but only about cooking, and that's it. Those are the only robots. Hey, I found one who can talk. Robot or engineer? Debatable. Come on, let's get an interview. All right. All right, welcome to the show, Mr... Hello, I'm Engineer X-12 of the Robotics Department. And your name is... My model number is X-12 because I am the 24th rendition in the X-Series. But before that, people called me Simon. Okay, so why don't I call you Simon? And why don't I call you Liverboy? Excuse me? The person known as Simon is nothing more than a part of my body. A gear in my machinery. Would you like to be called Brain Person? Sure, fine. So can you tell us what the X in X-Series stands for? No. Okay, can you tell us what you do here? No. Why not? Classified. Why is it classified? Because most find replacing people's limbs with toasters inhumane, so we decided not to tell people about it. But haven't you just told me? Hello, I'm Engineer X-12 of the Robotics Department. Okay, we're getting nowhere. Would you like some toast? So we then take a left at the enormous statue of some guy in the cafeteria. That'd be John Crowley, founder of the Strangements Association. Right! And then we walk diagonally through the Escher Serres, and as long as we've got a song in our heart and the appropriate firearms, that should take us to the Space Research Department. Everyone got that? Hey, do you think it'd be alright if I just stay here for now? Trying to get something to eat? Uh, sure. This is a really big cafeteria after all. What else would I be doing? Yeah, sure. I'll stay behind with Doug. Hey, it's alright. You don't... No, it's fine. Jock, do you think you can find your way in your own? Hey, don't worry about it. I had to trade in some of Doug's toenail clippings for this map, so I'm pretty sure it's reliable. You traded my toenails for a map? Hey, gotta keep going with the show over here. Let's, uh, let's get going. Alright, listeners, we've reached the Space Research Department. We don't know a lot about other planets and know too much about our own, but we don't know enough about the rest of the universe. So we send people out there to go figure out what's the deal with the vacuum of space. And to tell us the deal, I've got a space researcher with me right now. Hello, happy to be here. So, what can you tell us about the latest mission? Well, we've got a satellite piloted by one of our own astronauts, Jenna Trowerth, orbiting our planet right now. We've got her most recent travel log, if you want to read it. <laughs> oh boy, do I! Alright. <clears throat> Captain's Log, Day 43, aboard the Bora Malice, dictated by Jenna Trower. What scares me about space isn't accidentally drifting off into incomprehensible nothing. It's being pulled back into comprehensible everything. Every day outside my window, I see the world. And no matter how else I frame it in my head, I always see the Earth as down, pulling me towards a green surface where my form would crumple and break. I know that this fear is slightly irrational. I know that on a cosmic scale, the Earth is as much the center of the universe as Jupiter or the Sun, and I know that even if I were to start falling down to the Earth, I would most likely die of excessive g-force and or burn up in the atmosphere and land in the ocean as a pile of ash. But even as I reassure myself, try to stick to a cold, emotionless view of it all, I know that when I begin to fall down to the earth, there would be no possible way to stop myself. Nothing I could do to fight the pull of gravity. 
the pull of down. As much as we'd like to think we have, we have never escaped gravity. The station and the hundreds of thousands of satellites are floating in space, but they're still being pulled down in a spiral pattern around the Earth until they crash into some unknowing neighbor's backyard. We had to fight tooth and nail to even pull ourselves to the moon, crawling and dangerously, literally propelling ourselves with an explosion to get to the hunk of rock millions of kilometers away. And yet, even as we made it to that little spot in nowhere, we still haven't escaped Earth's orbit. We still haven't, even if we leave Earth, go to Mars, or some other inhospitable planet that's just another, a different gravity, however weaker it may be. If there's one truth that I've learned up here, it's that we will never escape down. End log. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. So, why did you send her into space? What? The, the mission. The reason why you spent potentially hundreds of millions of dollars to send her to space. Uh, um, I gotta go. Hmm. We now have arrived at the Department of Solitude, focused on the study of the effects of loneliness. Well, I'm pretty sure that this is the Department of Solitude. It was written on the sign outside the door here. But all I'm seeing here is a large, empty, dark room. Well, not exactly empty. There's me standing here in the room, and someone else far away. Far enough as so I can't interact or talk to them, but close enough to know that they're there. Close enough to know how far away they are. Ah, okay, okay. So in what I assume is the middle of the room, there's a table with a typewriter on it, being illuminated by a light fixture on the high ceiling. Alright, this paper from the typewriter appears to be a statement from one of the test subjects in an experiment involving involuntary social isolation in late high school. Let's give it a shot. <clears throat> My Manifesto by Hunter Thomas, 16. Chapter 1 of 38. Introductions. There is a rot prevailing in our society. It seeps everywhere and can be seen clearly through crime rates, home ownership, education, and more broadly through cultures, the lack thereof, and the differences between each other. This rot, this filth, codifying through the roots of our world has one clear origin point. The fact that women won't date me. Now, in this essay, I... So, what's on the menu today? Uh... Meat? Right. Meat. While some might say I'm harsh towards an entire half of the population of Earth, these people are usually so low IQ'd, unlike me, that they can't possibly consider another worldview outside of their own. They'll usually come up with a half-baked excuse as to why they can easily dismiss their opinions with simple name-calling. Anyway, as I was saying, women are morons and ruin everything they talk- 
And so Tris says that another toaster just pops out of the old one and it just keeps on going like this. And some of the researchers are kind of worried about the toasters accidentally spilling out and covering the world's landmass. And that's why the robotics lab is using toaster parts in their machines. So uh, I was thinking, what if we ran like an awareness thing on our show and we could get people to know more about this stuff? Mm. What's up? Not hungry? Uh, no. It's just... Well, I don't think that's healthy to eat. Like, are you even sure that's cooked? It sort of goes in phases. Are you even sure what type of meat this is? Could be beef, lamb, pork, human? I think that also goes in phases. Great. Just... just great. Come on, man. You, you gotta eat something. Whatever that something is, it's not gonna be coming out of the cafeteria. Then what do you eat? Just the stuff in your fridge. You're alright with that, right? Uh, yeah, sure, it's just... Doug, that food also comes from the cafeteria. I just bulk load of food whenever there's anything edible. Ah, well, that's just great. Are you alright? You seem a bit on edge. It's nothing. It's just... I hate leaving the station. Why? Well, it's just... I mean... I mean, come on. We've been around this place, and it's awful. I mean, the cafeteria isn't that bad. I don't just mean the cafeteria. It's everywhere. This whole place, Site 13, the association, all of it. It's just horrible. There's a gun that shoots teeth, a woman who's actually just a pile of tentacles and can rip us apart almost instantly. Three different departments about doing things with hammers for some reason. There are things here that can kill us and it will either be instantaneous or excruciatingly painful with zero in between. And it's everyone else here. No one seems scared or bothered about any of the stuff here. It's like, ah yes, this water balloon keeps filling itself up with dog's blood. That's not too bad. Ah well, time to go to lunch. I hope they serve us something edible this time. I think we've got enough content for the broadcast. We can head back to the station if you want. Uh, I mean, are you sure? I don't want to ruin this whole thing because I'm scared of this place. Look, I still want to do some more on-site stuff for the future, and I do expect you to do your job, but I don't want to put any of my people through too much stress, okay? So, let's get going. Alright. Holly? Hmm? Why are you into this stuff? The paranormal, the things we keep in the association? I don't know. Because it's cool and interesting? You don't get to see a gun that shoots teeth every day. You would if you were working in the firearms department. The firearms department or the firearms department? There are two of them? Three, actually. So are we planning to just leave Jock here? I'm sure Tris would love that. She really doesn't like him, doesn't she? I mean, do you? Does anyone? I mean, he's fine, I guess. Sure, yeah. We'll pick him up before we get there. Yep. Hey, doesn't that red light mean that the microphone is on? Hmm? You mean this one? Oh shit. God, I hate these things. They just seem to turn on any- Just a side note, I was listening to all of that. 
Shame about losing the whole manifesto recording, under all the misogyny and racism and homophobia and transphobia and aggressive frog hatred. Very interesting Tomb Raider review. Anyway, I'm in the Records and Translations Department, the set of translated documents. We have a very special treat today because what I have here is a letter from John Crawley, founder of the Strangemen's Association, a person who I only just learned about ten minutes ago. Date of sending, 321 BCE. Don't worry if you think you won't be able to follow. Not only have they translated the texts from Greek to English, but they've also modernized some of the terms to make it easier to understand. Let's read it. My dopest Plato. It has come to my attention that my little hunting party must expand beyond the scope of what I had originally intended, and maybe, perhaps, beyond the scope of what I even intend to do now. As you know, the life of a soldier interested me very little, but nothing was left for me to do with my exorbitant wealth. I'd spent my days wasting away inside my abode, barely eating or drinking, and a couple of months ago, out of pure boredom, I'd begun a little project to create the grand taxonomy of animals, putting all beings in our world into neat little boxes. Fox, bear, wolf, dog, bird, etc. In truth, when I first began, I was mostly plagiarizing the works of those who had come before me. The only reason why I thought there were still creatures undocumented by those high thinkers was because, as I later found out, I had misread a description of a common nightingale. But the idea gripped me. The idea that I may not just discover and document a new species of bird, but new species entirely, that my name would go down in the scientific community as one of its founding members, and that I would leave a legacy far greater than my quaint, noble upbringings. I suppose, in a way, I will, but there is no glory to be found in my new profession. To collect further information, I arranged a hunting party with a few of my friends and a couple of paid mercenaries. Together, we were truly a strange union of men. One of the mercenaries claimed that, as a youth, they had hunted large wild boar for sport and food. One of my close friends boasted about his many adventures as a military commander, scoring women, killing bandits and thieves. I had to gently remind him that he had spent only three weeks outside of our city walls before he could no longer deal with the responsibility of commanding a large troop of people. We began hunting in the forests around Mary the Theotokos Church. We spent around five weeks in those woods, killing what we could for food and trying to document all the animals that we came into contact with. The results were disappointing. All the animals that we did find were either common enough that everyone already knew what they were, or were ones that had already been documented by other, more notable scholars. By day 21, I had been incredibly frustrated by our lack of notable findings, and I might have been taking it out on the rest of the group. Two of my friends had decided to take some of the mercenaries along with them so they could be escorted home. Looking back, I honestly don't blame them. They just couldn't understand. I deserved a place in history. It was to be my right. This was not some childish fantasy of mine. This was fate and destiny. I deserve notoriety, and the fact that I wasn't getting it now was inconceivable. On the last day of the hunt, something strange happened. While searching the area for any berries that may have been edible, we came across another hunting party's camp. It seemed recently abandoned, with many of the tents beginning to sag and collapse. There was one person still inside the camp. His face looked much like the tent he was found in, gaunt, scared, and fearful. He was clearly shaken by something, 
At first, I believed that he was the lone survivor of a hunt gone wrong. I was right about that detail. He told us that his name was Aggie, and he said that his group was ambushed by a wild beast. I tried asking him what exactly had attacked him. Fox, bear, wolf, dog, bird. He just shook his head. Someone else asked what happened when he was ambushed. He said that they were just walking along through the woods when a voice came to them. Came to them all. He said that the voice knew them. Knew their hopes, their dreams, their fears. His recollection began to trail off at that point. He managed to escape something quickly, but not before he saw his other hunting men slaughtered by whatever he was too frightened to describe. Examining the other tents, we found many documents about what I considered at the time nonsense. A stone ornament that could bring back the dead. A dog that could speak one word of perfect Greek. And a person that had something inside him that was not organs and bone. From what the document specified, it appeared as though they were collecting these strange things. A small part of my mind, that doubting, ridiculing part, told me that they were after the same nonsense that I was. Fake monsters to tide their curiosity, but never actually finding anything. This angering doubt was short-lived, however, and was faded completely when we brought the man outside of the tent. A stillness had grasped the air and stopped us in our tracks. Not understanding what had gripped us with this feeling, this dread, that's when we heard the voice. It seemed to come from everywhere. I felt it in my head, my ears, in my teeth. I believe that we all heard it at the time, but I was so wrapped up within my head to notice. I do not believe that it said the same thing to everyone, but I heard the voice ask, Who are you? It was not rhetorical. I felt myself fade. I was quickly losing the energy of the will to continue. My identity was simply dashed, and I no longer wanted to be me, a nobleman called John Crawley. For who was he but a spoiled brat who demanded a legacy and got none? But as I was still John Crawley, I could see nothing else to do but to lie in the dirt. That's when it pounced. It seemed to be waiting for this moment of surrender. None of us fought back. The young boy we found just lay there, waiting for slaughter. I remember it had hair, and I'm pretty sure it ran away. I don't think anyone else escaped. When I had finally come to my senses, I could see that surrounding me was the notes, the paper, the documents from the camp, the lists of impossible things. It was then I sought to find them, to collect them. I believe that I was still reeling from having my sense of self shattered, and I was just latching on to whatever I could get my hands on. But after many months of searching and recklessly spending money on servants, new mercenaries and buildings to work in, I believe I have found an item. It is a statue that doesn't move when people are looking at it. I have endeavored to find more, and I would wish for your assistance. I'm sure that you could wrestle anything that may be a bit stronger for my team. For my strange union of men. Your slick, cool guy, John Crawley. Well, that appears to be everything so far. There is still so much to learn here at this place. 
So many different departments, so many different experiments, and so many different people. So if you've ever got free time, just look around for stuff. Interesting new things, but not too hard as many of the things in here do not want to be found. Thanks for listening to the Strangemen's No Access Radio. I'm Jock Tuckaby. Tune in next week as we continue to describe things that cannot be- Hey Jock, we're heading back now, so can you wrap up here and- I was just about to until you interrupted me. Really? Great. Then can we get going? Doug's already back at the station. I I will, just give me a second. Fine. Just make it quick. Yeah, alright. Described. Good night. This episode of The Strangeman's No Access Radio was written, edited, and directed by Lachlan Millard. This episode featured Bronte Thompson as Holly Greenwall, Remus Douglas as Doug the Sound Guy, James Clayton as The Researcher, and Ryder Gavin as Jock Tuckabee. Thanks for listening. Thank you.